Okay, um, we're going to be doing something a little bit different for, oh, until we're tired of doing something different, <laughs> or until you're tired. And I need your feedback from this. We are trying to kind of take a look at our worship service and just see how we can keep the same essence, keep the same commitment to the Word of God, and maybe do some tweaking so we don't kind of get into that same rut and, you know, go into cruise control, you know, when we, we get here, you know, that we need to be attentive and to be focusing. And so, you know, already the worship team has made some uh, changes. And one of the changes that I'm going to make is when it is appropriate in the message, instead of doing a 30 to 40 minute message at one time, um, where it's appropriate, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to split it up throughout the service. Um, one of the interesting things about three weeks ago, I went to a conference, a turning point conference with David Jeremiah, and we were there for two hours. And they spoke probably three or four different times during that. But in between each of those times, there was worship. And the worship kind of focused on the message and helped prepare us for the next stage of the message. And we got done with that two hours, and I thought, my goodness, it's, it's already two hours is over with. And it was so uplifting. And so we're going to kind of look at that, you know, being able to have some of the music, some of the worship in between the message, give you guys a little more time to digest some of the things that are said. But I desperately need your feedback, positive and negative. Folks, this is not feedback. Going home, looking at your spouse, man, I hate it that they do that. That's not feedback. You know, and then that person goes and tells that person, and finally gets to one of the elders in two months, and they say, oh, by the way, they don't like this. You know, that's not feedback. We're looking for it positive and negative. If it is helping you, enhancing you, you know, digest the word of God, connect to the word of God, um, you know, helping you in, in that worship time with God, that's, that's our goal here. And so let us know if, if we're accomplishing that, what's distracting, you know, what's something that we uh, can do a little bit different. Alrighty, um, we're going to be doing a little bit of uh, a difference here. We're going to be doing a series um, up to Christmas. And I know you all know um, that names are important. Okay, your name is important. You are important. Um, names, you know, give us an indication of who someone is. As soon as you heard, hear that person's name, you kind of begin to associate certain things. And, and billions of dollars are spent each year to try to get people to think certain things when they hear a name. I mean, when you hear a name like Hallmark, you know, what do you think? You know, get out the tissues, you know, in a, a, a feel-good movie, and, you know, maybe you're going to cry at the end. If you hear the word Disney, you know, you think family-oriented. You know, cartoons, you know, the, the, the amusement park. Um, when you think Mountain Dew, you think this. We got that there? You, you think cool guys drink Mountain Dew. <laughs> Isn't that what you think? I mean, they do, you know, they spend billions of dollars on this image. And especially cool guys drink Diet Mountain Dew. Isn't that true? I'm sure that's what you guys think right away. Get that out of there. Okay, close that off. <laughs> All righty. How many of you have ever done this? How many of you have ever looked up what your name means? How many of you have done this? Okay, almost everybody has done that. You know, um, I know we, we have it, you know, I can't remember what my name, you know, Lawrence means, strong and courageous, or, you know, we all have something like that. Now, let me ask you this. You've all looked it up, or you've had somebody give you something with it. How many can remember what it is? Not as many. Really? You guys are pretty good. I didn't even think we'd have that many. Maybe about a third of you can remember what it means. But, 
Our names mean something. And, and, and they're symbolic of something. Well, in your Bibles, there are 12 major names of God. And we're going to go ahead and put what these major names of God are. Um, as you look at them, what we're going to be doing over the next weeks and getting into Christmas, we're going to be taking a look at some of these major names of God. Now, these are the, the, the Hebrew names for gods. Unfortunately, when we translate the, the Hebrew into English, we usually just translate it the word God or Lord. And sometimes it's capital L, small letters, or you know, all capitals to indicate one of these, but we really have no connection to it as we're reading it you know, in English, unless you're a Greek scholar or a Hebrew scholar or something along uh, those lines. But these distinctions of the names are very, very important because in the Hebrew and Greek, names emphasize a character of God or some important point of God. So, you know, when the, the David is writing in the Psalms and he uses one of these names, he's, he's talking about a specific character. And unfortunately, we don't catch that character because we translate it God. So that's why we're going to take a look at some of these names. Um, over the next three weeks, leading into Christmas, uh, hopefully we'll probably get about five or six of those names. Now today, the name that we're going to be looking at is the name Adonai. All right, we'll go ahead and put that up there for you. The word Adonai. Uh, Adonai describes a relationship and a position with God. It's actually different because all, almost all of those other names of God describe a character of God, like he is all-wise or that God is all-knowing. But the name Adonai, when it is used, it's talking about a relationship that we're supposed to have with God. It means master. It means Lord. Matter of fact, it, it, it literally is translated Supreme Lord. And in the Hebrew, that word Lord, it's translated, it's, it's Adonai. If you go into the New Testament, the Greek, it's Kurios, but they both mean the same thing, Supreme Lord. Now, I was looking at this this past week, and it's kind of interesting. In the New Testament, um, there are a lot of names given to Jesus Christ. And, and some of those names are, are so precious to us. One of them is the word Savior, the name Savior. And as a Christian, you know, I, I know if you know Christ, you know, the Savior, he is our Savior. He paid the price for us. So much is connected to that. And that word Savior, you know, that's probably one of the, the words that we use the most to describe Jesus and our relationship with him. But do you know the word Savior? It is used 20 times in the New Testament. 20 times, right around 20 times the word Savior is used. Take a guess at how many times the New Testament word Lord, Kurios, or Adonai is used to describe our relationship, a Christian's relationship with God. How many times? How many times do you think? Take a guess. 20 times Savior, how many Lord? Over 700 times. Over 700 times, the one name, the one characteristic that God wants us to know and to understand about our relationship with him is that he is our supreme Lord. Isn't that something? That that's the characteristic he wants us to take away? So while Savior is a precious reminder of what Jesus did for us, Adonai, Kurios, Lord. That's the relationship that God wants to emphasize. That's the relationship that he wants us to remember, that he wants us to live with him. 
Matter of fact, in, in the New Testament, every time the word Lord and Savior are used together, Lord always comes first. It speaks to him as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is the distinguishing relationship between someone who is a true Christian and someone who has a false, false faith. Is Jesus Christ the Lord? Is he our supreme ruler? Titus chapter 1, verse 16 says this. He says, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deeds. One of the words of those who just profess to know God, but aren't really Christians, is a disobedience. He's not our Lord. He's not our supreme master. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says this. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So our first concern is to make sure that if you are sitting here today, that you have a true saving faith. That Jesus Christ is your Savior, yes, but he is also the Lord of your life. Because there are many who are going to say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, depart from me. Is the identifying relationship with God Christ that he has with you as a Christian now that people would look at and say, he is your supreme master? He is your Lord? Now, as the service progresses, I want you to be searching your hearts. I want you to be evaluating your relationship to Jesus Christ. Is Jesus your Adonai? Is he your supreme Lord? So what would it look like for it to be true in your life that Jesus is your supreme master? You know, maybe, maybe in more contemporary terms, we might say, what would it look like in your life for you to be sold out for Jesus Christ? What would that look like? What would have to change? You know, every once in a while, I'll have somebody say to me that they are disappointed with their Christianity, that it's just not working for them. Not, they're not getting out of it what they want to get out of it. You know, it, it, it's not satisfying. And so usually that person then begins to give themselves to other temporal things, trying to find satisfaction uh, somewhere. They don't abandon Christ. He's still the Savior. But not the Adonai, not the Lord. Have you ever wondered if it's that true Christianity doesn't satisfy, or maybe it could be that that person, maybe, maybe you, that you've never truly experienced what true Christianity is, what it's supposed to be. Adonai, Lord, it's more than just a name and a fancy title that we give God. It's an expression of a relationship that we have that we share with God. It means something. 
when we use that word Adonai. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? You know, using the word Adonai, kurios, that means, you know, you, you can't call me Lord, but then you, the actions don't follow it afterwards. You see, it is a submission to God's right to rule over us. Now, I'm sure most of you uh, have pulled up behind a car, you know, in front of you, and on the back bumper sticker, you know, they have the bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. You know, and the guy's just driving along there, God's my co-pilot. You know, he's driving along there. And folks, that sounds real spiritual to say God is my co-pilot. But that's part of the problem. God is never intended to be your co-pilot. I'm intended to be God's co-pilot. For my life, for God to direct it. For God not to just come alongside and help me out with where I'm going and what I want to do and what I think is important. It's supposed to be the opposite around. If God is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. And you need to allow him to be your Adonai, to be your master. Maybe it would help you just to think through it like this, maybe evaluate your life. Um, when something comes up that's involved in your faith, you know, maybe, you know, you, you, you see there's a need uh, out there or maybe an opportunity to tell somebody about Christ or to pray for somebody or pray with somebody. Or maybe, you know, something is announced in church. You know, we need a Sunday school teacher or this service opportunity is, you know, next Tuesday we're all going to be meeting when those happen in your life, when those opportunities come, which do you, what do you do? Do you first ask yourself, do I want to do this? Or do you ask, does God want me to do this? Do I want to do this or does God want me to do this? I mean, really, that's the whole basis of our faith promise for our missionaries. I, we just want you to pray and say, God, do you want us to do this? Do you want me to do this? And what do you want me to do if you want me to do this? But is that how you approach things that come into your life that, you know, could be opportunities for God? Do you say, well, do I want to do it? Or, or do you ask, do God, does God want to do it? You know, a few years ago, in a moment of pure honesty, and I love this, I asked someone in the church to pray about doing something. And he looked at me and he said, I don't want to pray because I know what God will tell me. You know, and I appreciate the honesty. But how we respond to that is a good indication to us of whether or not God is my co-pilot or I am God's co-pilot? Is he my Adonai? You see, I, I think we fail to remember, you know, when we're asking these things, and a lot of times it's not just a matter of, well, I don't want to do it, but we think of it, I can't do it. I'm not able to. I don't have the means. I don't have the gifts. You know, I don't feel comfortable doing this. I think we forget that when, when God is our Adonai, when he is our master, the master doesn't tell us things to do things that are beyond his ability to provide for it. If he doesn't tell us, say, hey, I want you to go into town and, you know, purchase, you know, some supplies for me, but I'm not going to give you any money for them. No, he gives us the resources. You know, that's, that's what happened with the master to the servant. We'll always do that. God will not ask us to do anything without giving us the ability to do it as well, to come alongside of us. A lot of verses speak to that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, I'm going to give you a bunch of them here. It says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. 
I mean, very clear. Look to me, God is saying. Ask me, seek me, look for me. I'm not trying to hide from you. What I've asked you to do, I want to empower you to do. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I say, well, wait a minute, I, I failed at a lot of things. Well, it, there probably weren't things that he wanted us to be doing. Because when God leads us, God empowers us. He gives us the strength. You know, it may not turn out exactly what we want. We may think, give me the strength to, you know, do this great feat. Well, if God's led you to do it, first of all, I'll give it to you. But sometimes, you know, God's ways and means are, are, are different. But he will strengthen us for what he has called us to do. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the suppress, surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. God wants to have that relationship with you that the things that you do glorify him and not necessarily glorify you. So he wants to empower you to do beyond what you can do. I mean, what good is it if you just do in your own strength what you could do anyway? I mean, nobody walks away and thinks, whew, why did God work there? You know, they say, no, Larry Marvel worked there. But when you do something that is so far beyond yourself, when you step out in faith, God leads you to do something and you obey him and God's there. God receives the honor and glory. It goes on, it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for, for power is perfected in my weakness. My grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in my weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. That's why this relationship of, of master is so important to us because it's through this that God gives us his power, his strength, that in our weakness, God does great things that points other people to Christ, that lets other people know that God exists, that he loves them, that he is real. We have to live as, as he's our master. Finally, in Colossians chapter 129, it says, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. You know, his power, his strength. So let me very simply ask you here. Do you trust Jesus? I mean, do you trust Jesus? We'll say, yeah, I, I trust him, you know, to forgive my sins. I trust him that he died on the cross for me. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus beyond that? Do you trust Jesus in what he is, wants to do in your life and who he wants to make you? What will it take for us to truly mean for me to live here is Christ but to die is gain? What is it in our life as Christians? What is it that God is trying to become the Lord of right now in your life? Let's pray, and I'll ask the worship team to come up then. Father, I thank you for this truth. And, and God, i got to admit, it's very, very sobering to me. And it's, it's easy to say, but harder to do. And Lord, we need your strength, your guidance right now. Even in my own heart, my own spirit, you know, Satan is, is giving me all the reasons not to. Father, I pray a hedge of protection about this church gathering right now, this church family, that, Father, you will allow us to hear your voice clearly.
respond appropriately today. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So where do we go from here? Well, first thing, I believe we must ask whether a person can be saved and deny God's lordship over his life. Can we really be a Christian but deny God the lordship over our lives? Can we call him Lord but then refuse to do the things that he tells us to do? I need to say, this isn't about perfection. You know, we have our sin nature within us and we struggle and we wrestle and, you know, we still have, you know, our greed and our selfishness and all those things that battle within us. But this really is all about attitude. Do we even want Jesus to be the Lord of our life? Is that where we're heading? Is that where we are trending with our lives? You know, Christ told a parable. God brought to my mind this past week. He told a parable that con- contrasted the religious hypocrites, the one that, you know, they were saying, Lord, Lord, look at all these things that we've done. He was contrasting their attitude, how they thought they were so perfect, with the people who were coming and giving their lives to Christ, the prostitutes, the, the tax collectors, the, the, the scorned by society. And he's trying to contrast, you know, their two attitudes. Here's, you know, one group that thinks they're so perfect, another group that, man, they are just masked in sin, but they are humbled and broken before God. And he, he says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 28, he says this parable. He says, but what do you think? A man has two sons, and he came to the first, and he said, son, go to work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it, and he went. The man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his fathers? They said, well, obviously, it's the first. You see, you and I, we may struggle with obedience. You know, we, we've got that nature within us, that redeemed nature, but, you know, we're still here on earth. We may struggle, but our attitude is ultimately we will go to work. We will do what God asks us to do. You know, it's not going to be yes, yes, and for everyone to see, but, you know, behind the scenes we're, we're not obedient. So to the question, can, can a person truly be saved to be a Christian and, and not have God as Lord? Well, you tell me 20 times Savior, 700 times Lord. Which do you think is the defining relationship that he wants us to have as a Christian? Savior, that's how we get there. But Lord, Lord is how we live, how we live in this life. There's a second thing. If we are a Christian... One thing we have to remind ourselves of is my attitude should be that I want to move forward in this. I want more and more of my life that God is Lord over it. I don't think you're going to be able to flick the switch. Maybe some people do. And, you know, they can totally surrender an area of their life. But it's going to be a battle. You know, we're going to be fighting with God and his power and his strength for every inch that we gain in our lives, that we give to him. It's going to be a struggle. But that's my attitude should be, God, I want to do this. You're going to give me the power. You're going to give me the strength. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. God says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am master, where is my respect? Is that our desire to have him, honor him, 
to give him the respect that he is due. Lord God, Adonai has a right to expect obedience from me, from, from his Christians, from people or his children. You think about when, when God called Moses into his service. You know, there's a lot of backstory to it, but Moses ultimately is out in the wilderness and God is about to call him and send him back to Egypt to, to be the deliverer and deliver his people through Moses. And he's talking to him and he's saying, you know, I want you to be my spokesman. I want you to go back to Egypt. And here's what it says in Exodus chapter 4. It says, then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in times past, nor since you have, you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, I want to stop there for just a second. It hit me this morning when I was kind of going over my notes. Something hit me about Moses' excuses. He says, I have never been eloquent. Here's his excuse. Not recently. In other words, he's saying to God, what about my life out here being a shepherd with the sheep? What, what about my life right now gives you any indication that I could become a speaker and stand before, you know, Pharaoh and make these great declarations? He said, Lord, I have never been eloquent. What in my past? ever gave you this idea. And folks, this is, the, this is the most harsh one. His third excuse, nor since you have spoken to your servant. Even since you have placed your hand upon me, God, what makes you think that I can do this? And that's telling, folks. To believe that God, once he places his hand upon you and directs you to do something, that you don't believe he can do it that he can follow through in what he has said. So here's Moses' excuse. You know, nothing in the past, nothing in the present, even since you've come into my life. You know, what makes you think I can do this? The Lord said to him, verse 11, who has made man's mouth, or who makes him mute or deaf, or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be your mouth and teach you what you are to say. But he said, please, Lord, send now the message by whomever you will. In other words, whomever you will, but not me. Send it by someone else. It's an important message. But you, somebody else, not me. And then he says, then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Moses' whole attitude here of looking to his past, looking at his present, even looking at his faith in God, and saying, God, you're not sufficient to do this. His whole attitude brought, can you imagine having God angry with you? And he's angry with Moses here. Why was God angry with Moses? Because he was not trusting. He was not submitting to him as Adonai. He was not believing that when God calls us, God will empower us. Do we think God's relationships are any excuse me, his relationships with us, his expectations upon us, do we think that they are any different for us today than it is for Moses? And how often do we have that same thing towards God? I can't do it. We look at our past experiences, we look at what we're doing right now, and, and unfortunately many of us look at our faith and our relationship with God, and we say, you got the wrong person, God. You can't do it. God was angry with Moses. You know, what's God relationship with you right now 
when we talk about growing and maturing in Christ, so often we're, we're talking about Bible, we think about Bible knowledge. You know, I grow and I, I learn more about the Bible. I can answer the questions. And certainly that's part of growing and maturing. But you know, it's really a small part of it. It's only the beginning. It really all comes down to what you do with what you've read. What you do with what God has told you. It comes down to obedience. It comes down to trusting God, of giving more and more of ourselves to Christ every day, every week, every month, every year, giving more of my relationships to him, giving more of my speech, my tongue to him, giving more of my time, more of my priorities, more of my energies. It's about bearing fruit for him. It's about following his example. And this is all a matter of handing over ownership of our life to him. That this is, once I said yes to Jesus, once I asked him to forgive my sins, yes, I said I wanted to become a child of his, when I came into his family, everything changed for me. He's now my master. He is my supreme master. So, when was the last time you moved your dial in your relationship with Christ, surrendering something to him or surrendering something more? When was the last time you would, I mean, just think, I'm not looking for real answers. I just want you to think about that. When was the last time, last month, was it any time this year that you could see some area of your life you surrendered more to him that you are the master in this area, not me any longer? Was it a relationship? know, an attitude, a heart, maybe it's an area of forgiveness you needed to, maybe it was a, an act of, of service, doing something that God has asked you to do. When was the last time that you, you moved that dial just a, a little bit farther towards God? When we started this focus by asking the question, if maybe when a person is disappointed in what their Christianity is amounting to in their life, maybe it's it's more about them not living and understanding what true Christianity is. Matthew 10.39 says this, He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. 